Hello, and welcome to A Health Podacy. We see higher rates of preconception uninsurance in non-expansion states than we do in expansion states. I'm your host, Alan Weil. Stable insurance coverage for women before and during pregnancy, when they give birth and after, has demonstrated benefits for the health of the mother and for the baby. Yet the patchwork of programs that provide coverage to women of reproductive age leaves gaps and leads to changes in coverage, which we call churn, and that has harmful effects. Medicaid coverage for pregnant women lasts 60 days postpartum. The expansion of Medicaid and the Affordable Care Act meant that women in some states that expanded Medicaid retained that Medicaid coverage for longer simply due to their low income. So how big a step did the Affordable Care Act make towards stable coverage for pregnant women, and what remains to be done? That's the topic of today's episode of A Health Policy. My guest today is Emily Johnston, a senior research associate in the Health Policy Center at the Urban Institute. She and her colleagues published a paper in the April 2021 issue of Health Affairs, analyzing patterns of insurance coverage and health outcomes for women covered by Medicaid during at least part of the period between preconception through a few months after giving birth. They find that the Medicaid expansion closed many, but not all, gaps in coverage. These are the findings we're going to explore in more detail. Dr. Johnston, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. So uh, the coverage landscape for pregnant women, preconception, through birth, postpartum, is kind of a mess. So before we get into the findings, can you just sort of explain who's covered, when, for what? Just give us a sense of what that landscape looks like. Sure. And I'll start with the pre-Affordable Care Act landscape um, and then talk about how that law changed eligibility surrounding pregnancy. Historically, Medicaid coverage during pregnancy has been quite generous, much more so than for childless adults or even for parents. High eligibility during pregnancy was a policy response in the early 1990s to address high rates of infant mortality in the United States. And as a result, all states prior to the Affordable Care Act were required to cover pregnant people with incomes up to 138% of the federal poverty level. And most states covered those all the way up to 200% of poverty. Some go even further. For example, Iowa covers pregnant people all the way up to 380% of poverty. But as you mentioned, pregnancy-related coverage lasts for only 60 days after pregnancy ends. Um, And after that, folks' eligibility for Medicaid depends on their state's eligibility rules for non-pregnant adults. Before the Affordable Care Act, Medicaid coverage for non-pregnant adults was much more limited than it is now. Most states did not cover childless adults in their Medicaid program. And so that meant that adults who were pregnant with their first child would not have been eligible for Medicaid coverage before their pregnancy began. And then thinking about parents, which would include folks who are losing pregnancy-related coverage after giving birth, um, eligibility was there in all states, but in many it was extremely low, and the U.S. average was only earning $16,000 a year for a family of four to qualify for Medicaid as a parent. So all told in the pre-ACA landscape, Many people were uninsured or lacked access to Medicaid before becoming pregnant, and many lost that access after their pregnancy ended as well. So let me just uh, uh, pull that together. So if you're low income and you don't have a child, before the ACA, 
in most states, you weren't eligible for Medicaid at all. You become pregnant and now you're eligible, but it's not until you're diagnosed as a pregnant person that that coverage starts and you then go have an encounter with a a, a clinician who says, hey, you, you should get Medicaid coverage. But before that, you probably had nothing. If you already had a child and you were very low income, you might have been on Medicaid. And of course, anyone might have had employer coverage, but at the lowest income levels, that's not that doesn't dominate. You'd get 60 days of Medicaid after the birth, but unless, again, you were low enough income to be covered because you have a child, you're still not going to have, your, your Medicaid coverage is going to end pretty quickly after the birth. That's exactly right. And so those policies were really designed to ensure that there is coverage during the pregnancy, but not to ensure coverage outside of pregnancy for these adults. And then the ACA doesn't actually change coverage related to pregnancy, it changes coverage related to income. That's exactly right. So the Affordable Care Act Medicaid expansion means that in states that took up the expansion, those with low incomes up to 138% of the federal poverty level are eligible for Medicaid independent of whether or not they are pregnant. So if they are a childless adult, they're eligible. If they're a parent with a child at home, they're eligible. And so that provides um, some continuity of Medicaid eligibility before and after pregnancy. But as we know, not all states expanded Medicaid. And so for adults who become pregnant in states that did not expand, there isn't that continuity. For example, if they have incomes under 100% of poverty, they're not eligible for marketplace subsidies, and they're also unlikely to be eligible for Medicaid, even as parents in those states. It's quite low eligibility. And so we have the same situation that we had prior to the ACA, where they are unlikely to be eligible for subsidized coverage before or after their pregnancy. But even the ACA expansion, and I think this is something that is uh, particularly confusing in an area that's already confusing, is that even that doesn't provide full continuity. Because as you said, Eligibility for pregnant people goes up in many states to 200% of poverty or so, but the Medicaid expansion under the ACA is only up to 138. So if you're at 175% of poverty, which is not a lot of money, you gain coverage while you're pregnant, but again, you only get 60 days postpartum and then you're making too much to be on Medicaid. You could get a marketplace subsidy, but that's a change in coverage. That's a really important point. And so you're experiencing a very uh, time in your life when lots of things are changing, right? You might have a new infant at home, you've just gone through delivery, and now you have to think about how am I going to maintain health insurance coverage, whether that is signing up for a plan under the marketplace, which might be more expensive than Medicaid coverage has been, or even for people who are eligible for Medicaid, they have to switch pathways. And in some states that might require providing documentation of their eligibility um, in the expansion population. So we talk a lot about insurance and changes and loss of coverage. You said at the outset that the original expansion was designed to address a health problem, not just an access problem. So this isn't just about dollars and cents. This is about women's health and children's health. How do these pieces fit together? That's exactly right. And there's a fairly large body of evidence documenting the impacts of insurance coverage, whether it's from these earlier Medicaid expansions during pregnancy or other studies looking at changes in coverage. But we know that continuity of coverage 
through the prenatal and postpartum periods is associated with an increased receipt of recommended postpartum care. We know that having coverage before pregnancy um, can lead to improved use of preconception care, such as even folic acid intake at the beginning of pregnancy and before conception. And really importantly in the current conversation about maternal mortality and morbidity, 12% of pregnancy-related deaths in the United States occur between 43 days and 365 days postpartum, and it's an even higher rate than 12% in some states. And more than half of these deaths that are occurring well after birth are considered preventable. And avoiding needed care because you don't have health insurance and because care is expensive could contribute to these deaths. So ensuring that people have insurance coverage, not just during their pregnancy, but after they deliver, when they're thinking about becoming pregnant with another child is really important to the health of women and also for their children and families. Okay, so this isn't just about who gets paid. This is about who gets health care and who has healthy ch children and healthy pregnancies. And let's dive into what you found. So the biggest difference, of course, is between states that expanded and didn't expand Medicaid. We already knew that the Medicaid expansion improved stability of coverage. So what was the new finding in your paper? So what we were focused on was the population of people who have Medicaid coverage for their prenatal care. And we were really focused on this group to understand what policy solutions there might be, what role Medicaid could play in ensuring continuity of care outside of pregnancy. And what we find is that in the period after the Affordable Care Act's implementation between 2015 and 2018, more than one third of these women who had Medicaid for prenatal care were uninsured at some point in the perinatal period. Um, about 27% were uninsured before they became pregnant, 22% were uninsured after delivery, and some were uninsured in both periods. And the big difference that we find is that fully half of new mothers in states that did not expand Medicaid were uninsured at some point, compared with only 21% in expansion states. And so that really stood out to us as evidence that um, the Medicaid expansion made a difference in states that took it up, but there's a long way to go uh, in both expansion and especially in non-expansion states. So the Affordable Care Act makes a big difference. It doesn't solve the problem. But let's talk about, you've talked about pre-conception and post. The rules are really different on the two sides of that equation. So can you just go in a little more detail about what are the dynamics before someone becomes pregnant? What are the dynamics after they give birth? Sure. So before someone becomes pregnant, um, they might be covered, as you mentioned, by employer-sponsored insurance. But thinking about the low-income population, in a Medicaid expansion state, we've seen people coming in, including women of reproductive age generally, with incomes up to 138% of poverty coming into the Medicaid program. So in expansion states, we see people getting coverage before they become pregnant. Both expansion and non-expansion states, we see some of that through the marketplace. But as you mentioned, um, marketplace is more expensive for many people. And then also there's that coverage gap in non-expansion states. Thinking about after pregnancy, the difference is the role of parental Medicaid coverage. And so in expansion states, it's really not that different eligibility-wise before and after. Um, you have that coverage available up to 138% of poverty. 
But in non-expansion states, some people who would not have been eligible before they became pregnant, if this is their first child, are eligible to maintain Medicaid coverage as a parent after delivery. And because of that, we see higher rates of preconception uninsurance in non-expansion states than we do in expansion states. Okay, we'll dig a little more deeply into these findings after we take a short break. Enjoying the show? Make sure to subscribe to Health Affairs Today to catch a daily roundup of news, analysis, and commentary. Topics range from federal and state health policies to the latest on health inequities. And it's free. Head to www.healthaffairs.org and click newsletter sign up in the menu to join the premier health policy community. And we're back. I'm speaking with Dr. Emily Johnston about how the Affordable Care Act changed patterns of insurance coverage for low-income women during the prenatal and postpartum periods. When we went to the break, you were describing the overall shifts, particularly the differences between states that expanded Medicaid and those that didn't. You also found differences across various population subgroups. And I wonder if you could uh, describe some of the findings there as well. Sure. One of the population subgroups that we considered is Hispanic women who completed the PRAM survey that we're using here in Spanish. And we chose to look at that subgroup because it might be a proxy for people who are recent immigrants to the United States. And the Medicaid program has different eligibility rules for U.S. citizens than it does for immigrants. And what we found was that in expansion states, Hispanic women who completed the survey in Spanish had the highest rates of uninsurance in all three measures that we look at, any uninsurance before pregnancy and postpartum. And um, it's a big difference, right? We found 37% of these Hispanic women who completed the survey in Spanish to ever be uninsured, compared with only 7% for all other groups. And they're also the most likely to be uninsured in non-expansion states. Your study also looked at the health conditions people are experiencing. Can you say a little bit about your findings in that area? Yes. It was really important to us to put some context on the health conditions that women are experiencing. So it's not just an abstract concept of, do you have insurance or not? And what we found was that many women with prenatal Medicaid coverage who go on to experience uninsurance, either before pregnancy or postpartum, have health problems that could make limited access to care really challenging or dangerous. And so we found 7% had preconception diabetes or hypertension, about 12% had depression preconception, one third had a cesarean delivery, which is major surgery and requires you know, medical care and recovery. Um, and many also reported gestational diabetes or hypertension, which can lead to um, increased likelihood of those conditions continuing postpartum as well as high rates of postpartum depression, which is critical that women receive care for that, um, for their own well-being and also for their families. So this is a, uh, a vulnerable population, an at-risk population. And um, what's striking to me is that most of the conditions you describe are treatable uh, or manageable, and uh, you just have to be part of a care system. Uh, and if you're cut loose from that, the consequences can be quite dire. So, of course, this study is really focused on what happened after the Affordable Care Act, but lo and behold, not so long ago, President Biden signed the American Rescue Plan, which has some provisions having to do 
with Medicaid coverage for this population. Can you describe what those are and what the implications of those changes are? Yes. So I think the primary policy that you might be referring to, the American Rescue Plan includes an option for states to extend pregnancy-related coverage for a full year postpartum instead of the current 60 days postpartum. So this would really extend eligibility for the same program that these people who we studied are already enrolled in. They just wouldn't lose that coverage for a full year after their pregnancy ends. And this is such an important first step um, as a policy solution to address postpartum uninsurance. In some separate analysis that my colleagues and I completed, we found that if every state were to adopt this new provision, about 123,000 uninsured new mothers could become newly eligible for Medicaid or CHIP during their infant's first year of life. Um, but there are a couple limitations to this policy as it is included in the American Rescue Plan. One is that it's optional. And as we have seen with Medicaid expansion under the Affordable Care Act, not all states participate in these optional Medicaid expansions. So it will be a real question to see how many and which states choose to take up this option. Another challenge is that it provides no additional financial support from the federal government. And so taking up this policy could be an expensive choice for states um, who are choosing to cover additional women um, who have healthcare needs and will be using care. But we also know that there could be improved outcomes um, and potentially cost savings in the future for providing preventive care, um, addressing chronic conditions. And then finally, this provision only lasts for five years. So it's an option that begins in April 2022, but it sunsets in 2027. And so it's not a permanent solution to address uninsurance postpartum. So I'm sure you and your colleagues are waiting for the data to start coming in to find out whether those projections turn out to be true, depending, of course, on how many states uh, take up the option and whether it has any health effects. But before I let you go, uh, since it's going to take a while before you get those, anything else you're working on right now in this area that uh, you want to tell us about? So my colleagues are doing some great and really important work looking at maternal health equity, particularly in the era of COVID. And so beyond thinking about coverage, um, which is what a lot of this work that we're talking about today focuses on, they're looking at the care delivery process, um, understanding how pregnant people received care, the role of telehealth, and how the delivery system has shifted during COVID um, to continue to provide high quality care for pregnant women and to understand where there are opportunities to improve health equity, um, particularly for Black Native women who experience such large health disparities. And so I think moving beyond the coverage piece to look at quality of care is a really important next step for improving the lives of this population. Well, I look forward to seeing the results of that work, and I appreciate the time and energy that went into the study we were able to publish in Health Affairs. Uh, Dr. Johnson, it's been great talking with you on A Health Policy. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, I hope you'll tell a friend about A Health Policy. Health Policy is produced by Health Affairs, the leading journal for health policy research. The team behind the show includes Patty Sweet, Jeff Byers, Julia Vivolo, Sarah Kolk, and Sue Ducat. 
Like the show? Subscribe to A Health Podacy on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thanks for listening, and have a great morning, day, or evening.